Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I'm your host, Ted Harrington, and with me here today is our special guest, Chris Barron. Chris is the Vice President of Engineering at Respiratory Motion. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ted. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you on here and talk about some of the ideas and, and challenges, too, I'm sure we're going to discuss, that I think many of the members of our audience also struggle with, which all have to do with sort of early stage issues. So let's talk about, let's start with funding because that's something that, you know, you you have some experience with how we secure funding. So when we think about the idea of a company that needs to go and secure funding, how should they be thinking about it? Let's, Let's first talk about this to, you know, founders who haven't done this before, whether they're first time founders or just, you know, founders, this is the first time they've tried to raise money. How should they be thinking about it? How should they approach it? What's the advice? Well, I mean, the first thing is that it can be a long haul, right? So you, you've got to really, you have to do a lot of homework. You have to have your, your pitch has to be really refined, you know, to, to show that you have all your milestones lined up and what essentially what that money that you're, you're asking for is going to actually be used for, right? So that's a, that's a key piece of it. It's kind of common sense, but believe it or not, you'd be surprised at how many people <laughs> don't address that. <laughs> so it's like, well, what are we get, What are you going to use my money for? Well, uh, let me see. You know, and it's, it can't be like that, right? You've got to be able to answer that question quickly. You've got to be able to say how much money you need for which milestones, how long it's going to take to get to a certain key milestone. So in the case of what I do, which is medical devices, that would be maybe like an FDA approval for the product, which will then allow you to commercialize it and start actually making money and selling the product and getting uh, revenue to the company. So that's like a big one. And that's certainly one that they would ask for a medical device type application. But yeah, it's, it's pretty much understanding what the key milestones are, how long they'll take, how much money each one's going to be, what risk mitigations you might have in place for unforeseen things that will always go wrong. Investors know that that'll happen as well. So you got to be ready to answer those kind of questions. Mm, I see. So that's actually a really interesting insight that someone might go through the hassle of trying to raise money and not know why they need the money. So do you think that that happens because of the perception that you need money to validate the idea essentially? Or like, why, why does that even happen? Why would someone get that far to raise money and not know why they need it? Let's say you're an inventor, right? You have no business experience or you're very little business experience. And you, and you, you know that you have to develop the product. You're going to have to hire people. You don't know exactly maybe how many people you need to hire, but you know you're going to need like let's say engineers or whatever. So so you you know that you're going to need a certain amount of money, but you haven't really again you haven't really tied the work back to achievable milestones, which will actually have some type of meaning and add value to the corporation. 
at the end of the day. And, and that's just not understanding the way a business is run. Right? And, and a lot of early stage first-time founders, they're doing it for the first time. So they learn, you know, they have to learn the hard way that there's, there's kind of a process to it. You know, there's not, there's a process to it, but I should, I should, there's a caveat there. There is a process, however, there's no, there's no, you know, silver bullet either. Every single invention, every application, every, every company is going to be a little different. And the investors are going to look at every, every company a little bit differently. Um, and, and every team is different, right? So whatever that founding team looks like is different. So the process, the process might be, you know, fairly straightforward in terms of what your pitch needs to have for slides and what type of content you need for your pitch. But the, but the rest of it is, is you know, going to kind of have to flow a little bit more organically, you know, so. Do you think that the, the needs for what needs to be involved with a fundraise, does it change through the different rounds? Like, I mean, obviously the company or the product or whatever matures as you get into later rounds. So what you're pitching to angel investors is a little different than like an, an, a C round or something. But so let's say like an A round, let's say a company's thinking they're, they're going for an A round. What are the kinds of things at that stage that are critical to success where, you know, maybe they've proven product market fit, they have some customers, stuff like that. What are the things that they need to be bringing to the table? Well, I mean, a, I, I look at A round as being still pretty early. I mean, sure, you usually have a seed round before that, you know, maybe a couple million or million and a half or something. But I, I still think you haven't really, you haven't really got too, too much traction until you're, you're wealth into your A round. So I would think that it's more like the B round where you could see some pivoting happen with respect to the market and even, even the application. You also could learn as part of the, you know, the, what you've done with this money that you've, that you've received and, and some of the work that you've done is you might find that your regulatory pathway has to change a little bit. Because again, for a medical device, it's, it's, it's an FDA, it's an FDA approval process. So you may learn something, whether you're doing some clinical trials or whatever, that, that change has to change, right? So it's like, okay, that direction that we had at the beginning of the A round was this, and now it's going to be, it's going to change to be, to, to be this. Um, and that could, again, there could be many factors for that. There could be some type of safety or efficacy data that suggests that the product has to be changed in some way from a design perspective. It could, there's lots of different things that could happen during that A round. So I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting insight you provided that through the course of a round, before a round is completed, before you get to the next round, things have may, may have changed. So how does an investor typically think about something like that? You know, they, they invested in an idea going down a certain path, and then before that path is completed, there's a pivot. How do they feel about that? If, if you're referring to the investors that have invested in the A round, for example, usually they're helping you. You know, at least you have some. If there's a lead investor, you know they have a seat on the board, and you know, so they're they're actually providing guidance. And a lot of times, they they could even be the the reason why there's a pivot, right? Because they they recognize something that they have more experience, let's say, right? Because they've invested in many more companies than maybe a first time founder group. So. They, they can provide that guidance. Uh, that's at least, that's one potential um, thing that could happen, I would say. What do you think that an investor or investor group is typically looking for in those earlier rounds, the A round or B round? Well, let's, let's we've been talking about A round, so maybe let's use that just as the baseline for a second. What are they looking for there? Are they looking for, you know, to trust their gut or their instincts? Like, do I think that this founding team can do this? Are they looking for customers? They're looking for, what do you think are the key elements? I mean, there's obvious things they, they write about, right? They're like, I want to know the success metrics, but like, 
what are they as a human being in the room? What do you think they're really trying to sniff out? For well, they, I mean, again, they want to get to they want to get to a regulatory pathway that's going to make the product something that can be commercialized. So that's the key thing because if you don't if you don't get FDA approval in the United States, you're not selling the product, right? So it doesn't matter how many dollars you have, <laughs> you need that FDA approval. So that, that that has to be really a very very important piece of what of all the activities you know that, that's happening in the company for a medical device company. Um, it, I mean, it's very different for other businesses. So I don't want to set you know try to steer people in the wrong direction. But and, and I should also mention that I've only worked in medical device for thirty years, so I, I don't have experience in other industries. But um, I can, what I can tell you is that it's it's really important that you know you you have the, everything lined up properly to get the approvals that you need because B round, let's say, is, is really about commercializing. You know, in, in, in an ideal world, you, you're ready to go. You're ramping up some type of a manufacturing operation. You know, you've got your, your you're building your sales team, your, you know, and all that. Your marketing and your sales strategy is being flushed out. That's really what you'd be doing more than likely in a B round for, for a medical device startup, which might be different again for other industries, but that's my experience. Because the A round is really, you know, you don't have a product. It's not even designed yet. <laughs> you know, you might have, again, you might have a prototype from the seed round, but it's, you know, it's not there yet. You don't really have an organization that's struck. You don't have a, the infrastructure for a medical device organization, which needs to have certain things, things like as part of it. So for example, you need to have a quality system that has to be a certain type of a quality system for the FDA to recognize that is, is a product that they'll approve, things like that. So that requires, you know, um, personnel and different departments and, and so forth. So there's a lot, a lot of overhead. It's actually a pretty long haul compared to a lot of industries because of all that regulatory oversight. So when you think about the way that you're investing money, whether it's money that's been raised or maybe, well, yeah, so you're, you've raised money and you're thinking about how to invest it. And that's a balancing act, right? Uh, there's paying for things like, you know, the team, there's paying for, I don't know what all the things might be that you're, you're going to pay for, but how do you evaluate these trade-offs? I mean, certainly getting FDA approval without it, as you said, you're dead in the water, but you, it's almost like you have to operate under the assumption that you will get it. And if you do get it, now you have to account for these other things like, you know, I'm a security guy. So obviously I would wonder like, well, how do you invest in security? Stuff like that. How is the deal, how's the calculus done for how to spend money when there's this do or die moment at some point, which is FDA approval, but you have all these other things that you also need to take care of in the event that you are approved. How do you balance all that? Well, I mean, it starts at the very, like, let's bring it all the way up, you know, 50,000 feet, right? So it starts with what is the mission? What is the mission that this you know, this team is trying to accomplish, what is the medical device? What is the medical device going to do? Is it, is it going to change the standard of care for some type of an area of healthcare? Is it going to save lives in a new way? Is it novel, right? But whatever, whatever the device is supposed to do, because usually you do start off with one device, what is the mission? And from there, it's just like a tree, right? So, you know, you have, and, and it, it sounds cliche, but you know, you have, you have to have a good mission statement because that's, it's the most important thing. You know, and not only do you have to have a mission statement, but you have to reinforce that that is the mission with your team all the time. And I've seen lots of companies that, you know, they have the mission statement on, on the wall, right? You walk in the lobby, they got their core values, they've got their, you know, whatever, you know, and they have their mission statement and it looks all beautiful, but they don't even talk about it. And if you ask one of the employees, what's the mission statement of the company that they work for, they don't even know what it is. That's the big, that's a huge mistake, right? So you have to have that mission. And then you have the, it's just like a tree, right? So my last CEO had a great way of, and I don't know if he coined the term or if he read it in a book, but we had these things called hinge points. 
So what's a hinge point? A hinge point is something that, and we, we used to do them yearly because you know it wasn't something like it was wasn't like a five year thing. It was like every year. What are the things that we have to do this year, or they could be detrimental to the company's success, right? So these are things we have to, we must do. They're not really milestones. It's a little different. You know, a milestone would be like getting FDA approval, right? These might be other. These might be other hinge points. These might be other metrics that would inform you know the the team on how they're doing essentially, whether it be the leadership team or uh, or investors and you know the board or whatever, and that would help steer. Again, that that helps steer the direction of the company. So there can be there can be many things. It can be you know it depends on the stage. But let's say you've got let's say you've got a product developed and you're starting to sell it now. You could have customer success metrics, right? That's one example. Like okay, we have to have you know X number of cases or calls or whatever that come in customer complaints and, and things like that, and, and you track all these things. And if you don't. You you realize that it's going to affect your sales and so forth and it's, you know there's this way there's people that know how to do this stuff and and build on these metrics right so and, and there's a number of these and you, then you can have IP goals let's say or IP hinge points it's like if we don't secure this particular technology that we're developing in a certain way where where you know someone else could come right in and, and you know and cause us some problems or competition right so there's another one and that's actually an important one is IP. So, so all these hinge points are, are pretty critical. And then obviously on the product development side, you'll have some type of, of a key product development hinge point, which might be that you've got a product that's ready for manufacturing by the end of the year or whatever it is. And, and they're sort of milestones, but they're, they're a little bit more refined, I guess, and, and, very, and much more specific to different areas of the business. And that's how you, that's how you do it to answer the question kind of a long, long way to get there. But, but it has to start at the top and, and it has to all flow downward. Yeah, I like that. Start starting back to the mission. I I've seen it across industries. What you're talking about, where companies they have their mission, and you know certainly the leadership, maybe the CEO, believe in that mission, but the communication of it can be really difficult. And yeah, if everyone in the company doesn't know what the mission is, then like, well, <laughs> if you don't know where you're paddling the boat, where's it gonna go? So that, yeah, that's- I mean, it's even it's a lot more than that actually, because as I mentioned earlier, the medical device businesses, it's kind of a long haul, right? To go from an inception, from a concept all the way to a commercial product, it's, there's, there's a lot of time, which means that the team has to be a certain type of team that can that, that has the patience and the, and the endurance to be able to, 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 to hang in there, right? And one of the ways that, that you get people to hang in there and really do their part is it's, it's psychological, right? It's like, well, what do we, you know, oh, we're creating a device that can help cure cancer, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, but it, it, if it's something that's very impactful, you're going to have a much better chance of getting folks to rally behind that goal to, you know, to, in a very organic or very natural way to make it happen. And, it, and it's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, and that, that's, that's how you avoid micromanaging all those other things, right. That don't work is it, it comes from, within an individual. And it's like, wow, that's a pretty cool, you know, if we could do this, you know, this could save lives and, and this is how it would work or, you know, so people rally behind that. And, you know, I think humans in general tend to, you know, can be inspired by, by that type of a mission. And, and then it's, and then it's finding the right people that um, are mission oriented because not everybody is, you know, there are people that just don't care. Well, you don't hire them. <laughs> and then there are people that say they are, but they're really not. And, and they have to go because they're, they're bad for the team too. So, but usually, you know, if you do a good job with, with screening people and, you know, when you're recruiting, usually you can find it, you can find a pretty good group. And, and then from there, it's leadership and management to do the rest. So you mentioned earlier that you've been doing this specific craft for 30 years. Why did you choose this particular one? So what was it about 
this field that has so caught your attention? Is it the, the problems you're solving? No, I'd love to say I was really clever and I made a conscious decision, but I went to Northeastern University and they had a, they have a co-op education program, right? So you, you, you know, while you're in school, you work, they get, it's a work study program, right? So I just co-opted, I co-opted a medical device company and uh, it was a good company. Don't get me wrong. And, and, but before I was going back to school for my like my last semester, my my boss said, "Hey, you want to come work here when you graduate?" And I was like, "Okay, yeah, it sounds good." He goes, "I'll pay you thirty five thousand dollars a year." I'm like, "That's awesome," you know. So that's how I never even interviewed. I tell people this; they don't even believe me. I never even interviewed for a job until I was out of college for seven years because I, I was at that company for seven years. <laughs> I literally had never been on an interview. I mean, I I, I guess I technically interviewed for the call position, but I don't even know if that counts because. That was kind of a joke, but that's kind of funny to be like, yeah, it was pretty scary when I actually had to do it for real the first time, you know, I was 30 years old, my first interview, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not quite mid career, but you're like, you're not early career and you're just learning like, how do I do a resume? <laughs> but it did catch your attention enough to keep doing it. Oh yeah. No, it, it, I liked what I was doing there and all that. I, I mean, if I didn't like it, I would have taken the job, but it, it, it didn't, I wasn't too, you know, like I said, it, it just sort of happened that way. So. And, and it, but I do, but I do enjoy the work, you know, I'm an electrical engineer by degree and, and I spent my first 15 years designing, you know, designing circuitry and electronics and working with software folks and, you know, actually making the product work uh, before I got into, you know, management leadership. So I, I have a good kind of broad view of, of how all that works. So. so when you think about the successes and failures that you've seen over the past, you know, several decades of working in startups in the medical device space, what works? Like how does, how does one differentiate? Is it something that you're differentiating from the inception before you even think you're going to get approval or is differentiation something that comes after FDA approval? How does, how does a startup in your space think about how they differentiate against competition? Oh, against competition. Well, that's interesting. So it depends on if it's something, you, you know, you're making a better mouse trap or you're making something that's novel. And that's that would be the answer because a lot of a lot of devices are intended to be improvements upon an existing product that's out there, right? Let's say that there's a something that's deficient. I'll give you one example: infusion pumps. You know, you see them in the hospital on hang-on poles everywhere, right? You know, you hooked up to an IV back in the uh, let's see, it would have been the, the late, I guess it was the two, early two, no, maybe the mid two thousands. I guess it would have been. There was a huge recall of infusion pumps, and because there was a, there was a you know, a problem. There was a reliability issue that after these pumps got to be a certain age, they became really inaccurate and people were getting, you know, people were dying and things like that. So it became a huge issue. So there was, a, you know, lots of startups sprung right out of that problem, right? So here's a problem, um, it's a billion dollar problem, but not only that, it's, you know, it's actually hurting lots of people. So startups sprung out of that as to how they can make a more accurate, reliable infusion pump that can be a, basically a smart pump, right? Because now the technologies are getting smarter by that time. If you think about, you know, the 2000s and microprocessors and all those other things. So I, I went to a startup, worked for a startup company that that's the, exactly what they were doing, developing a, a smart infusion pump. That type of a product is very different because your competition is everybody that already makes infusion pumps, all the big guys, Baxter and Carefusion and all these other giant companies have lots of money, right? How are you, you going to break into that market, right? <laughs> and then other startups that are trying to do the same thing as you, right? So that's very challenging. And I, I must say, I don't have that type of sales and marketing expertise to answer that question for that company. But what I can answer is more along the lines of uh, more novel devices. So devices that 
there's nothing out there like that particular product. So it's a new technology. It's a paradigm shifting technology. And I, I tend to, I, I did do the infusion pump one. And matter of fact, they just, that company was, I wasn't, you know, as long, long after I left, but they were acquired and they're actually now a commercial product. So it's great to see it happen, you know, they, and they solved the problem. But I, I tend to, I like to go after things that are sort of new and can, can really change an industry. If you look at some of the other, you know, kind of companies I've worked for. So, so that's different because you don't really think about competition at that early stage, what you think about is protect, you know, IP really protecting it because it's it's new and you don't want somebody else to, you know, just jump, skip, skip over you, especially if they got more money than you. So yeah, so what was the original question? Sorry if I don't know if I answered, but so you want to make sure you you have if it's if it's a novel type of an application that you are focused on the those the, the design the, the product inputs. So again, what what are the things that you're going to have to run against for safety and efficacy? Because it has to be safe. Nothing out there's nothing out there like it, and it have to get, has to be efficacious. Has to work. You won't, you, won't, you won't get approved. And the regulatory pathway, by definition, is going to be longer because you're not going to be able to a device that's already been on the market that you're trying to make a better mousetrap, so to speak. You're going to be able to piggyback off of it's called the five ten k process. You're going to be able to pig, piggyback off of existing devices and say we're just like them, we're a little bit better, and it's much faster, much faster road to market. Where if it's something novel, depending upon if it's it's safety profile, if it's something that could like actually kill a person accidentally, that becomes a, a long, long process. That's like a PMA. Like so, most of your most of your major drugs, your pharmaceuticals have to go through that, right? Because they can like, they can be toxic and whatever. That would be an example. But if it's something in the middle, there's actually an approval process for that called the Novo approval, and it's it's where you know you 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 have something that's new. You really can't say you're like anything else, but your safety profile, your risk level is low. You, you, know, you really shouldn't be able to hurt anybody, but the upside's big. Like it could have a major impact. It could change the standard of care for some type of, you know, some type of a process that the hospital uses. It could be uh, something that literally saves lives, you know, depending on what the technology is. So, yeah, so that, that's, you know, again, I don't know if I really answered your question, but it's a tricky, it's a tricky question for me, to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it depends. Yeah, it depends. Well, it's a great insight. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really cool insight and uh, you're helping me understand the, the space a little bit a little bit better for sure. And even in the contrast, you know, for everyone who's listening who might not be working in medical devices, understanding the challenges from a different industry help us, those of us in, you know, whoever's in other industries think differently about their own challenges. So I think that's really helpful. Well, as our, uh, our time is coming to a close here, is there any parting wisdom or idea or insight that you want to leave our audience with? I would say, you know, so everybody's good at something, right? Or most of us are. Right. And, and you have a passion like for you, it's cybersecurity. Right. And there's a lot, lots of places you can use that passion. Right. But but I, I would say apply your passion to something that's meaningful and, and, and don't waste it. Right. So so you can be really good at something and never really do anything with that talent. You think of like an artist, right, somebody that paints paintings and they're really, you know, they're, they're your best artists when, when they when they paint something, it's very different from from someone that, you know, doesn't have doesn't have that doesn't apply that passion to some some type of meaning when you look at that painting right so so think of your life like a work of art and try to you know use your passion for, for, for don't waste it you use it you know and use it every day you know so that would be my only piece of advice yeah what a what a great note to end on well Chris thank you so much this has been uh, really eye opening learned a lot from you thanks for the time and the and the insights yeah thank you Ted it's been my pleasure great talking to you. For everyone who wants to learn more about what Chris is up to or more about the podcast, go to tedharrington.com backslash podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Crowdsec, 
the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. 